0: Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today it's part one of the book of Genesis, chapters 18 through 20. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hello everyone, welcome to our discussion of Genesis chapter 18, 19, and 20. And the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, Did you catch that? The Lord, the Lord visited Abram. The Lord appeared to Abraham and the Lord appeared as three persons, but they spoke as one Lord. Isn't that curious? The Lord, three men, Abraham lifted up his eyes. He looked and behold, three men stood in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and he bowed himself to the earth. He bowed. And I know there's Middle Eastern hospitality, but Abraham Abraham knows this is a very, very special gift. And he bows himself low to the earth in humble adoration. And Abram said, my Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, do not pass by your servant. Don't leave. Don't pass me by. Stay, stay, stay. And he is a master. He has men servants and maid servants and large flocks and people under him, but he is acting as a servant, not a master, a person who performs duties for others, especially like a personal attendant. Do not pass your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet. He wants to wash their feet. He wants to serve them. He's in the presence of something great and he knows it. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I, the master of the household, while I fetch a morsel of bread. Just a little morsel of bread. Just a little bit. Just a little morsel of bread that you might refresh yourselves. So he, the master of the household, is going to fetch a morsel of bread. Well, really, he's going to go slaughter a calf. That's a little different than just fetching a morsel of bread. These are really, really, really important gifts. And, And to slaughter a calf is a big deal. There's only one time in the New Testament that a calf is slaughtered and it's when the prodigal son returns home. It's much cheaper to take a lamb, their gestation is shorter, lambs aren't worth as much. You would, you would usually serve lamb, mutton, but he's killing a calf. While well, I fetch a morsel of bread, so you might refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. He's clearly beneath them, he's their servant. Now, these are no ordinary visitors, God has just made a blood covenant in Genesis chapter 15, and you know there were no chapter divisions in the original manuscripts. So we've just come from a blood covenant covenant. Remember when he slaughtered the animals and laid them out and there was blood and Abraham is getting this all ready. And then God is going to put Abraham into a deep, deep sleep and dreaded darkness while God himself passes through the bloody carcasses as a smoking pot and a fiery torch. Remember that? After making a blood covenant in the Middle East, the two parties would share a meal a covenant meal, and now the three men have come to share a meal with Abraham right after making the blood covenant. Here comes the feast. This is how it's done in the Middle East. And so they said, do as you have said, make the feast Abraham. Now the plural pronoun, they are speaking in one voice. Isn't that curious? Three persons speaking in one voice, united. The three persons speak as one. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent of Sarah and said, make ready quickly. Three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. The cakes he's talking about are unleavened bread. It's bread of haste. And it looks like this in the Middle East and they can cook it fast because it has no leaven, no yeast, no sin. If we use the analogy of of leaven in the New Testament. Three, make three loaves. Three, the divine number, the Trinity. Bread made in haste is unleavened bread. No yeast. Later, God's going to give the Israelites a feast, a seven day feast of unleavened bread in conjunction with their greatest feast memorial, the Passover feast. And these are Abraham's future children that'll be in prison for over 400 years uh, in, in bondage in Egypt. And they will have on that 10th plague, remember they have to hurry. There is no time to wait for bread to rise because the angel of death is coming. And if they wanna get passed by, they have to be ready to go. Bread of haste at the very first Passover meal. Bread of haste is eaten at Jesus's last supper because it is the final Passover meal of Jesus Christ. He breaks the unleavened bread. He says it's his very own body broken and that his very own blood will be made a new covenant. And they don't have to do anything at all. He will do it all. In fact, most of them run away, right? It's not dependent on them. It's dependent solely on him. The new covenant will not be dependent on other human persons. Just like with Abraham, he was in that deep sleep, in that dread. God put him to sleep and it was dependent on God alone. Like this covenant with Abraham dependent on God alone, this new covenant so too will be dependent on God alone. Three hours of darkness and dread will fall upon the earth. Remember, Mark tells us when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, three hours of dread and darkness came over the entire humanity at the day of the cross. It doesn't matter if the apostles run and hide, this new covenant blood covenant will depend on God's faithfulness, God alone, not theirs. So too the new covenant will not be dependent upon any other person, but solely on God. Abraham prepares three loaves of unleavened bread. God is three, but God is one, one for the father, one for the son and one for the Holy Spirit. It's the very first time we hear anything about unleavened bread in the Bible so far. He urged them strongly. They entered his house. He made a feast. He baked unleavened bread and they ate. Abraham ate with God. They shared a meal after the blood covenant. The next time we'll hear about it, Exodus 12. They shall eat flesh that night roasted with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. This is the night of the Exodus, the first Passover meal. And for seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, said the Lord. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an ordinance. How long? Forever. There's going to be an ordinance of unleavened bread that goes on forever for all generations. Hmm, wonder what this might be. (laughs) A perpetual feast of unleavened bread that goes on forever through all generations. The Passover lamb was also part of this. It was one unblemished male lamb on the center platter. Jesus Christ will be that final one passover lamb that final unblemished male lamb and they were not to break the legs the soldiers won't break the legs of jesus that blemish free male lamb of god he is the final sin offering the final blood offered that the father accepts as perfection perfection of obedience and the unleavened bread now will still the lamb is gone. He's been consumed, fully consumed, but he's put himself into unleavened bread. Isn't he creative? Isn't this amazing? Into this unleavened bread that will now be the unbloodied sacrifice that perpetually continues in every generation as a Eucharist, as a thank you forever to the Father for what he's done. Save mankind from our sins. The Eucharist is the gift that Christ left to his church, fulfilling his promise to be with us always. He said he'd be with us always. He said, "Yeah, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. I got to go away. I'm not going to leave you orphan. But He will be with us always too, he said. The second person of the Trinity, how's he going to do that? Through the Eucharist. I will be with you always to the end of time. Last thing he said in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28. Jesus puts himself inside this perpetual thank you to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit at the time of the Epiclesis, when the Holy Spirit is called down and makes the miracle happen on the altar. Jesus was the final Lamb of God because only he, only he could truly take away the sin of the world, and he's still doing it. How through his priesthood, introduced in Genesis 14 through the office of Melchizedek, taking away sin and then calling us to his supper of thanksgiving for the Father's plan of salvation for us. Bread and wine, as offered by Melchizedek and Abraham. Bread and wine, the same elements they used in Genesis 14 as a victory meal when they won the battle of the kings. And Jesus has won the battle of the kings. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And it's an eternal thank you to the Father, a perpetual remembrance of thanksgiving. Happy are those who are called to his supper. The supper of the Lamb of God is the mass at the altar of sacrifice, the four corners of the altar to the north, to the west, to the south, to the east, to all ordinals of the world. It's universal. We eat the leaven-free, sin-free bread of the Trinity. It's a bread of haste. It helps hasten our way home to our true home, the promised land of heaven. It's called the manna from heaven. It's called the bread of forever life. It's called the body of Christ. It's called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And happy are we who are called to his banqueting table for healing. It's the Father's final word, Jesus is the Father's final word. He needs say, no more. It is done. He takes away the sin of the world. How? Through a valid priesthood in the order of Melchizedek, so that we are pure enough to receive God Almighty, the Trinity, into our human temples. This transubstantiated body of Christ through a valid Melchizedekian priesthood. Would we remember this 2,000 years later? Do you remember what you did yesterday? (laughs) You know, do you remember what the sermon was last Sunday? Do you remember anything? (laughs) You know what I mean? So for 2,000 years, it's been a remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me. Because we are human and we would forget we would forget so he knows we have to see and taste and have him on our tongue and take him in our temples and be with him in communion how quickly did Noah forget all the Lord had done for him 40 days 40 nights rain 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 the whole world wiped out and immediately he gets drunk how quickly would we forget that was 40 days 2,000 years plus Adam Eve and Seth start turning back to the Lord after Abel's death And they start sacrificing blood offerings to the Lord. But always in the future, there's only going to be one blood sacrifice that can do it. So you see Jesus Christ is there in the foreshadowed existence. All sacrifices in the Bible will point to the final sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I like this old painting. It's Jesus as a little boy, but he's got his cross. He's got nails in his basket. Look at the red arrows. He's got pliers that they're going to pull the nails out with. He's foreseeing his crucifixion. He's got a lamb by him, but he himself, will be the lamb of god the lamb slain but still standing when he rises from the dead as revelation tells us he is the lamb of god everyone's waiting for him the great churches of the world know they put the lamb front and center the lamb slain but still standing surrounded by the four living creatures the word of god this is jesus everywhere everywhere you see it mary knew Mary knew she had the Lamb of God in her arms. John knew the Baptist. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sins of the world. They know they need this final blood offering, Messiah. And this is he of whom I, John, said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. For he was before me. But wait, John is six months older, but he's before him. Yes, because he's always in the logos of the Father. And John will always point to Jesus Christ in artwork. John points to Jesus. Jesus is greater than John. Jesus here has his two fingers and then three fingers. This is the two fingers are his dual nature, human and divine, and the three for the Trinity. When you see that in artwork. Jesus says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus is saying, He's the least. He's the most humble in the kingdom of God, yet he's greater than John. This painting shows Jesus and John as teenagers. Jesus has the halo. Jesus is greater. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. John the Baptist always points to the one coming who is greater than himself, the Lamb of God. These are on cathedrals in France. John the Baptist holding the Lamb of God. He's waiting for the Lamb of God who can take away the sins of the world. He's not the one. He can baptize people, but it's only a baptism of repentance. That's good. He softens hearts to repent, to say they're sorry, but he's not the one who can take away the sins of the world. He can just get people to repent. That's only because he's full of the Holy Spirit, John, from birth on. It's the Spirit that always does the conviction of the heart. John can't forgive sin. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. He's the final lamb of God, the final blood sacrifice. They come into the temple, presentation day. They have the poor offering, the burnt offering, and the sin offering, the two cheap turtle doves. It's the poor man's offering in Leviticus. But they have the Lamb of God in their hands. The final sacrifice. They're holding him. Simeon is full of the Holy Spirit. He comes out. Mary has the Lamb of God in her hands. Simeon takes the baby full of the Holy Spirit. He says, I can die now. I can go. I can go. I've seen Messiah. I've seen Messiah. The salvation to the Gentiles. Glory of Israel. I've seen him. I can die. This is him. He knows. Abraham's son, next lesson, is not the Lamb. He's not the lamb. Your son Abraham is not the lamb of God. God will provide the lamb. Mary's virgin son is the lamb, the lamb who was slain. Here are the two cousins as babies. But I want you to see in this old artwork, there's always a lamb. A lamb is expected. A lamb is coming. John has a shell because John will be doing baptism. Here he's dressed in camel hair. Little John the Baptist, he always has a lamb. He's looking for the lamb. He's pointing to the lamb. He always has a lamb. The lamb of God is going to be Jesus. John there has his little shell on his his waist. There's the lamb. Jesus has his cross in his hand Mary has the Word of God the scriptures in her hand John has an instrument for baptism Jesus the word is the word but I love this one this was a new one I just found this is John has the lamb pointing to Jesus. John is six months older than Jesus, but John is low and Jesus is high, taller than him, greater than him. Uh, Notice their their, uh, little fingers. Jesus, this dual nature, divine and human and the Trinity. He's got all three together. John is pointing to Jesus, pointing up to Jesus, the younger one who existed way before him. Jesus has the cross in his hand, but I want you to zoom in on the feet. Look at these feet. We've got a snake nipping at his heel, but he is crushing the head of death with his foot. Does that sound familiar? Genesis 3.15, Proto-Evangelium. The next day John saw Jesus coming, and John knew, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The greater humbles himself, Jesus humbles himself. There's John's shell. John is going to baptize Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is sinless. He needs no baptism of repentance. He has nothing to repent for. He's pure. But Jesus, the sinless one, who needs no repentance, is repenting for us. He's going to take on the sin of the entire world that day and repent to us. Take it down under the water. And he's going to rise up to new life so we can be a new creation. The repentance is not for him. He's sinless. The repentance is for all humanity for all time. There's our little grandson Joseph being baptized a few weeks ago. There's the shell, John the Baptist. But this isn't a baptism of repentance anymore. This is a baptism of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is removes sin. He is sin-free right now until he gets to be about what? Two? Three? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is the final sacrifice. Back to that old Passover with Moses. They also drank four cups of wine at that Passover meal with the unleavened bread and the Passover lamb. Bread and wine with Moses. Unleavened bread and wine with Jesus, the new Moses. Also the new Melchizedek. Bread and wine shared by King Melchizedek and Abraham. He was the prince of Salem the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ is the new Prince of Peace and the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and he said, make ready quickly, three measures of fine meal, knead it, make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd. He took a calf, tender and good, lamb or calf, calf. Calf would be better. And he gave it to the servant, who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf, which he had prepared, and he set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They ate the covenant meal. God ate a blood covenant meal with Abraham. Glorified Jesus will also eat after his new blood covenant. Uh, I imagine when he came into the upper room on Easter Eve, I imagine they had mass. The scriptures don't tell us that, but I've read that passage several times and felt they must've, but I don't know that. But um, I do know that they ate in Luke 28. Jesus said, see my hands and feet. It's I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And still they disbelieved for joy. And they wondered. And he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate before them. So they shared a meal after that covenant. Uh, He ascended then outside of Bethany. They walked with him. He lifted up his hands, he blessed them, and he was carried up into heaven. They worshiped him. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They were continually in the temple blessing God. He said, these are my words which I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms will be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understanding the scriptures. Can you imagine that illumination? And he said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. That's the gospel, you guys. The repentance and forgiveness of sins. That's what he wanted them to preach. Repentance. Anything can be forgiven, but you've got to repent. You have to repent and you will receive forgiveness. That's why he came. He comes to take away the sin of the world. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. You cannot do this on your own. This is going to be power from on high and they're going to have to wait how long? 10 days because he ascends on day 40 and Pentecost is day 50. They've got 10 days to, and he tells them to go pray until they're clothed with power from on high. So they pray for nine days and on the 10th day, po. The holy spirit comes and that's why we do a nine-day novena that's why novenas are nine days god told them to wait and pray until they're clothed with power from on high repentance and forgiveness of sin should be preached in his name to all nations That's the gospel. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. And many nations were were present there at Pentecost. And then in in, in, uh, Acts 10, when they're at Cornelius' house, Peter again reminds them in his great speech that they ate and they drank with Jesus after he rose from the dead. He's saying he really rose. He's really real. He really did this. And we ate with him. We ate with him a covenant meal. and That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. He's preaching that forgiveness. And then the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles and the Jews can hardly believe it. Okay, so they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? Hmm, how did the three persons know Sarah's name? Because it hasn't been mentioned and she just had a name change. Remember, she used to be Sarai and they know her new name, Sarah. Interesting. They, plural, speak in unison, in one voice. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And Abraham said, she is in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you in the spring. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. What? Oh my gosh. God had been silent 13 years. Remember? Abraham just did the circumcision last week. Remember? And now they have a time frame on this baby. They've been waiting for years and years and years and years and years. Now they know it's going to be within a year. They have a time frame and they know the sex of the baby. Without a gender reveal party, they know it. They know it. It's going to be a son. It's going to be a son. And he's coming within the year. And they know it. They've been told by the Lord, the three persons in unison, say this I will surely return to you in the spring. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son and sarah look at the arrow was listening at the tent behind the door she's eavesdropping on this conversation with the lord now sarah and abraham were old advanced in age and it had ceased to be with sarah after the manner of woman what's that mean sarah's not menstruating anymore sarah has gone through menopause sarah is barren and dry as a bone sarah knows this she's ceased to be with her in the manner of woman she is an old 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 woman so sarah laughed to herself Did you get that? Sarah laughed to herself. Have you ever laughed to yourself? No one hears it. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying to herself, after I've grown old and my husband is old, now shall I have this pleasure? Is Sarah in awe or is she being incredulous? This has struck her funny bone. She's going to have a baby now within a year. It's going to be a son. Sarah laughed to herself. It, it could be just like a giddy, you know, little laugh. I mean, this is going to really happen. All this time we've been waiting and the Lord's going to fulfill this expectation. So Sarah laughed to herself. After I'm grown old and my husband's old, shall I have this pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham why did Sarah laugh no one heard it but the Lord knew the Lord heard her and the Lord knows the intention of her heart right why did Sarah say shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old he's reading her heart she has said this to herself internally and the Lord knows is anything too hard for the Lord And that's what the Lord says. And that's one of my all-time favorite lines in scripture. It's a rhetorical question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Anything you're going through right now in your own life, it is not too hard for the Lord. That is such a hopeful verse. The angel Gabriel also says it to Mary when he comes at the time of the incarnation. He says to Mary, for with God, nothing is impossible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. At the appointed time, I will return to you in the spring and Sarah shall have a son. Sarah shall have a son. So the hope is reincarnated within Sarah and Abram. I love this painting. They have a time frame. They know the sex. It's going to happen. God has spoken and God read her heart. She knows it's true. No one can do that but the Lord. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And I think they believe it. And so does St. Paul when he writes to the Romans. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his old body, which was as good as dead, because he was about 100 years old. And when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, for he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Nothing is impossible with God. Abraham is going to stand on God's word, and that's a solid place to stand, and that's where we can stand. We can stand on God's word always it never changes. That is why his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now beautiful Sarah who had been barren her entire life, will soon have a son. And she knows it to the core of her being. It's going to happen. It's going to come true. God is true to his word. We can stand on his promises, Abraham. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Sarah was 90 when she conceived Isaac, and she was 90 or 91 when he was born nine months later. We don't know her birth date. She was 90 or 91 when he was born. She lived to be 127 years old, which means she got to laugh with Isaac for the next at least 35 years, maybe 36 or 37. Wow, nothing's impossible for God. At the appointed time, I will return to you in the spring. Sarah will have a son, but Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. So so God knows, God knows her deepest core of her being. He, singular, said, Now just one of the three is speaking. He said, no, but you did laugh. Now in this verse, in this chapter, we see sometimes men, sometimes angels, sometimes singular, sometimes plural. It's the mystery of the Trinity. And it's right here already in Genesis 18. The Jews didn't see it there. They still don't see God as a Trinity. They believe God is one, but God has revealed he's a Trinity. And St. Paul tells us that one day the veil will be lifted from their eyes and they will know God is a Trinity of persons it's the mystery of the trinity the early christians painted it already in the roman catacombs they painted the scene of abram being visited by the trinity the russian painter born in 1360 saint andrew Rublov, was a russian orthodox monk he was a great icon writer and at a very turbulent time in russia's history uh during the siege of moscow during a time of russian civil war andrew Rublov was asked to write The Trinity icon. He is taught by Theophanes, the Greek, one of the greatest iconographers, and Rublev assisted him. He mentored him. He asked him to please paint the Cathedral of the Annunciation in Moscow with him. If you've ever been there, this is the Kremlin in Moscow. You see the church, the Orthodox Church there with the arrow. This is what they painted it's the Cathedral of the Annunciation. If you look, inside at the ceiling, all the frescoes that these men painted, these beautiful, beautiful paintings. Here's the iconostasis at the front. I'll zoom in on it. It's beautiful. They also painted the Cathedral of the Dormition at Vladimir, and you can visit that beautiful cathedral. And this is the only remaining fresco painted by St. Andrew Rublev. It's the last judgment. It's, it, he just has a very beautiful style. Uh, they say that his Trinity icon is regarded worldwide as the highest artistic expression of the Trinitarian dogma. Uh, It's at Trinity Cathedral which was first a monastery founded by St. Sergius uh, and he built this monastery and then it got destroyed by the Tatars in 1408 and St. Sergius died he was made the patron of Russia. That was part one of the book of Genesis chapters 18 through 20 on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.